You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Hey folks, welcome to the Moisture Festival Podcast. My name is Matt Baker and I perform a comedy and stunt show all around the world and sometimes at the Moisture Festival. And my name's Louis Fox. I'm a comedy magician. I perform around the United States and also, guess what? At the Moisture Festival. <laughs> sometimes we do shows together at the Moisture Festival. <laughs> sometimes we co-host a podcast <laughs> called the Moisture Festival Podcast. And if you don't know what the Moisture Festival is, it is, of course, a four-week festival celebrating variety arts in the Fremont neighborhood of Seattle. It's the largest festival of its kind in the world and features some of the best entertainers and comedians working today. Typically, the festival happens in the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, the Moisture Festival also hosts a week of burlesque shows. And if you're listening to this during the festival, be sure to buy tickets as soon as possible, because 95% of the shows sell out, and you can get tickets by visiting the website moisturefestival.org. On today's podcast, we are recording on location in Berkeley, California, and we are happy to have Jeff Raz on today's podcast. We, we talk about him working in Cirque du Soleil, him growing up and going through life as a clown. Yeah, we get into the nuts and bolts of a working circus clown. We learn about the different genres of clowning, and he gives us a lesson on rodeo clowning. <laughs> it was awesome to have Jeff on the podcast. You're going to love this conversation because we definitely did. Yes. Let's get to it. We are on location in Berkeley, California. We're joined by actor, clown, director, writer, and a dad. In his 40 years plus of performing, he's toured the world of Cirque du Soleil and the Pickle Family Circus. He has appeared on Broadway and Shakespeare's Comedy of Airs, has written 15 plays, two books, and co-founded the Clown Conservatory in San Francisco. We are jazzed to have Jeff Rass. <laughs> Yay! Thank you. Thanks for coming back home to Berkeley, yeah. <laughs> where you're from, to join us for the uh, Moisture Festival podcast. Uh, it's, it's really nice to talk with you, and it's really nice to be literally across the street from the hotel where my family came in 1968 when we moved to Berkeley. In How wild is that? Wow. Yeah, we're right across Man, the Man, if we would have known, we would have booked that hotel. We would have booked the better room. It was probably really $10 <laughs> more, so we wouldn't no, have No, I can it. guarantee you it's still $10 less <laughs> over there. Uh, so, yeah, thank you. I have to say that uh, this was a treat to like sort of research you because, you know, a lot of the performers that we've interviewed so far on the podcast, we know and have seen, but we've never met. And so we did a lot of research and it was pretty awesome figuring out and finding out about you and your career and what you've done. It's pretty amazing, honestly. So how would you describe what you do for people who haven't seen your act at the Moisture Festival? I do a lot of different things, but you've ca you gave the caveat, the act at the Moisture <laughs> Festival. Uh, I, my core is clowning. Okay. My first skill was juggling. All right. So, and audience participation is something I love and have thought about and worked on for many years. So, I'd say those three elements uh, clowning, juggling, 
and and working with the audience. Okay, you you've toured the world, you know, with Cirque du Soleil, and like one of the, your big accomplishments, you did a 500 performance tour with Cirque du Soleil as a clown in English and Japanese. How long was the 500 show tour? Was it like two weeks? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you you know the the, the grind of it. Uh, I did I did a year. You, you signed I signed a year contract, and and with their contracts, there's always a, a little. They get to choose whether you go right after the year because they got to work, work someone else in. Mm-hmm. So it's a year plus contract. So I was there a year and a, a few months, and that was about 345 shows. You do. The average uh, is about eight shows a week, but you go up to ten shows a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went, came back and, and worked in Japan a couple of different times, and those were all ten show weeks, uh, sold out. Thirty two hundred people, Jeez. ten shows a week. They loved the show Corteo. It has a, it's a beautiful feel. It's it was directed by Daniele Finzi Pasco, who's uh, he's from the Italian part of Switzerland, and has a just a gorgeous. Uh, feel to the whole thing and it 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 clicked with Japanese audiences beautifully so we'd have people who come back every week and let me tell you that's an expensive week yeah (laughs) Uh, there was one guy who would sit in the same seat he bought the same seat every week and wore a different wig like an orange wig and he would learn different actors names and is a Japanese apparently a, a custom that comes from uh, from no theater, where if you love an actor, you'll shout their real name out. And uh, so he would shout out a name. And, and I was warned of this, but it is weird it to th- be in throws Japan you a little bit. working yeah. in Japanese and see a guy with a purple wig go, Chafras! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> he knows your kids' names. He's like, he's throwing, like, he's throwing out your social security yeah, number. Yeah, <laughs> there actually was, we had, you know, we had some of the most beautiful people in the world, right? You've got these incredible yeah. acrobats, and, and then there was me. And <laughs> at the, we had a few of our young men had uh, fans, young women, who would send them cookies and letters. And oh, wow. They got a little freaked out by it because uh-huh. it, was, it was this adoration that they weren't used to. And, um, and, and one of the women got really stalked. We actually had to, you know, had to get security oh, wow. there. But uh, it's interesting because... You want to be loved. You want the cookies, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like I want the now cookies. Now I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And then I want the love. I want the I want the cookies, and then you just leave. <laughs> yeah. I just want the cookies. That, you know that is this poor guy is just this gorgeous young man, very shy, and it just after a while you'd see him with the cookie box, and you'd know he's like. I don't know what to do. He's like, I can't eat these. I have to maintain this body. Yeah. It's in my contract. Well, the rest of us were. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got you covered. Now, you mentioned you're like, you're like, this is gorgeous acrobats and then you. Now, you used to be an acrobat, though. I was, yeah. I, okay. was, I, was, I did a lot of acrobats for 20 years. Um, I was a bass, so I, uh, I, and I first learned from a guy named uh, uh, Stu. Uh, God, Stu's last name. Let me, I got to go back over that. Um, there's two Stu Reynolds, this guy who makes the club. Stu, anyway, I'm not gonna get his name. Uh, well, he'll, I'll think of it later. Okay. Uh, he he had been an acrobat in vaudeville as a kid, and he was in his 50s, and he ran a club called Dance Your Ass Off. It was a disco <laughs> in, in San Francisco, and it was 78. And I worked with this group called the Bay City Reds, and we were a juggling group. And he said, "I'll teach you group acrobatics." So we'd come into the club Sunday mornings, and he'd be downstairs up all night counting the money, and we would start working out on the dance floor with some mats, and 
uh, we learned I learned pitches and two highs and 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 the basics and uh, three of us. Uh, myself, Billy Kessler, and Wendy Parkman put together an acrobatics act that we then did for a while. And then I had to go relearn when I joined the Pickles, Pickle Family Circus in, in 91, where Lu Yi, who is one of the best acrobats in the world, Chinese acrobatic trainer, so I had to adjust. Uh, and then I learned to do uh, hoop diving and a lot of doubles acrobatics with my partner, Diane Wozniak, all in a clowning set, so it's mm -hmm. an acrobatics yeah. and clowning. And uh, did a bicycle with eleven people on me. That's what? Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So how do you do? You have like training wheels. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that. No, you don't have training wheels. You don't mess up. Uh, you do mess up. That, yeah, you do mess up, and you're not you're not a popular person. Uh, oh, brutal. The 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 capper of that when you're when when you have to go from training to show. Mm -hmm. um, so Lu Yi, he would not tell you, but his approach was one day would be the day, and you don't know what the day is. And you come in, and he's, he puts everyone, not just your regular people on it, but it, you know, people who don't usually write, so it's really heavy, and you have to do 10 rotations once everyone's on. So in a show, you do one and a half, and you mm -hmm. do the flourish. But it takes a long time, because it takes a few rotations for everyone to get on. Mm -hmm. First, you do some tricks on the bike on yourself, and then you da 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 and then one other person, but then you do a few rotations, and then everyone starts to get on. But it takes a few rotations, and they're on for a rotation and a half, and they start getting off. Well, this is 10 rotations, and he stands in the middle, he goes, one, two, oh. and, and when he gets to about seven, you want to kill it. Yeah. You know, this is your trainer, but you're bigger than him. And that's, I mean, that's good. And when you get to about eight, you just want to ditch the bike. You don't care yeah. that everyone else will get hurt. Yeah. You figure, you, and so you get to 10, and that's what, and then they, and he wants to make sure you're not going to listen to those voices mm. in your head on stage. And then you do it again. 10 more times? Uh -huh. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. So then, uh, when you do it in a show, it's like, oh, this is nothing. It's not nothing, but yeah. right. And he knows that you know you're the guy. You're pedaling the bike, and no one sees you. Mm -hmm. So it's not you're not getting all this adoration. It's the person on top who's sitting on someone who's sitting on you. <laughs> and he has to know that your body and your mind are right. That you're going to keep everyone safe. Yeah, that's great. Now you mentioned you do some bicycle tricks too before. Did yeah. you do like? Nothing fancy. Okay. No. When you're about to do everybody else, and you let someone else do fancy stuff. Uh, you know, I just they you know, they tag you in. Yeah. Get, <laughs> get, no, you get on the side and lean out and do a few little things. Uh, but no, when you're when you're the base guy, you don't have to learn How too to fancy. Pop the wheelie and spin the handlebar. I, I wish I had actually, but I didn't. <laughs> now, but we'll go back to the beginning because you came here when you're 14. Uh, no, I came here or when, I when you're a kid, yeah, and you come from a family of intellectuals, right? Yes. Like they're all educated. Like yeah. my my dad was a physicist, my brother was a biostatistician, my mother was a sociologist, and both my grandparents on my mother's side were lawyers. Okay, and then were you just like, you know what? I'm gonna do something different. Is that, is that was that your rebellion, or was that like? I you, wish I had been that intentional. Uh, no, it was more like I'm the younger brother. I can't keep up with my older brother. Cannot uh, in school. Would you uh, say it was a biostatistic? He was a biostatistic. Sure you can't even is. pronounce it. Yeah. See, see, this is it. <laughs> I don't even know how to Google it. <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> uh, he analyzed. He said it's the statistical analysis of wavy lines. That was his little core. Uh, uh, so I 
one summer I worked at the Renaissance Fair. A bunch of my friends got a job at the Renaissance Fair. This is a familiar story among yeah, yeah. our community. <laughs> and I was doing the games booth. So I did the jousting booth. Uh, get people in armor and they hit each other and uh, it gets boring in about the middle of the day when you just got a line and you're taking stinking armor off and, and every so often it's exciting because someone's drunk and you have to be on there with them and all your anger arm. from the day is exactly. flat out on them we learned we actually got good we learned you could first you could get their arm so it start to hurt and if it's not responding we learned how to get the leather strap through the eye guard, smack, <laughs> get little cuts on the cheek, and that would usually finish Jeez. them off. When you're 14, this is a great job. But you get bored in the middle of the day, and someone learned how to juggle croquet balls, one of the other guys, and he, came, he showed it to me, and I did it. And seriously, now, this may have happened to you. I know it does. It happens to some folks. I was juggling, and I learned to juggle in a few minutes, and it felt right. You know, It was like the first time my body was doing what my body was made for. And you've heard this, or you felt it, right? There's that moment of, oh, I'm in the right yeah. place here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just kept juggling. And then there was lots of acts going on around, so I watched the acts, and I, I would go home during the week because it's you know the Renaissance Fair is six weeks long, and during the week I would go home and I'd practice their acts, and then I'd come show them their acts. That's <laughs> that went over what, really well. That <laughs> went over really well. <laughs> I thought they would say, oh, you're good. Yeah, they no. didn't. No. Uh, but I did learn. I learned how to. Do the tricks and learn how to put the axe together, and uh, it, so it was. It was something that it was mine, and it felt right, and I didn't have to. You know, no one else in my family was at all interested in doing it. Yeah, and and girls would would look at you mm. when you were fourteen and juggling. Yeah, but they would look at you like really. It wasn't nerdy then. Then I liked you more was... when you're beating the crap out of that guy with the, <laughs> with the leather thing. <laughs> I didn't think of that. I could have stayed with the games. <laughs> oh, man, my whole life. Yeah, it's just, uh, it just split right there. I, 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 it could have been. Oh, man. <laughs> the crossroads. And so you, you come home. My mind just went <laughs> off of that whole life here. <laughs> so you, you, you say to your mom, you know, hey, look at the, the, what I'm mm -hmm. doing. This is pretty cool. And she's supportive. Absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, my mother was, that was a core idea of hers is. Uh, I, I support my my kids. Yeah. Ah. Well, it's funny because like you way with the circus or circus performers yeah. or you know mm -hmm. the variety world is like you get a lot of friction from your parents. Yeah. So when you hear those stories from your colleagues, are you like, yeah, nah, never happened to me? No, I I, I feel for them. <laughs> yeah. Because it's when you you know when when you haven't yet made a footprint, you don't know if you're ever going to make a footprint, mm -hmm. and and it's going to be bad in a lot of ways. It's going to be embarrassing if you don't. And then it's going to feel horrible and you're going to have to then try to retool your skills. There's a lot that actually will have to happen if you don't, if your career doesn't take hold. Yep. And if people are saying your career is not going to take hold and people who could be supporting you are saying that, it's yeah. not good. It's tough. Now, my mom would, uh, my mom published a feminist magazine and was a, a visual artist. And so she would, she didn't mind loudly telling me what went wrong with the show. <laughs> Right. Did you publish it in the magazine? The show. It's just the back column of the feminist magazine. How Jeff messed up the show. She would sometimes, you know, when my we do street shows, she'd come and then she'd start talking about with still the audience there. My partners are going like this. But if I ever got a bad review, she would cut out the review or she would make a painting just vilifying the reviewer and give it to me. It would really, it would, it would just make my day. I love that. Now, now, did you go to college or is it just straight clown college? I, I went to Laney. 
Okay. Ju- uh, junior college, which I, I loved. I actually did, learned a lot of good stuff there. I did my first stage show at Laney. Um, and then I went to a conservatory. I went to Delarte, which is now Delarte International up in Blue Lake. All right. So can you explain to the listeners who might not know what Delarte is, yeah. what it is? So in the days I went there, it was Delarte School of Mime and Comedy. And it was the only place in the U.S. where you could get a, a, a broad physical theater training. So you got training in, in clowning, in commedia dell'arte, and in melodrama. Now, the irony is that I couldn't afford to go. So I went, and I was already a professional, but I felt the limits of juggling acrobatics. I was feeling a little tight. I wanted to, I was seeing people from dell'arte who had other stuff. And, mm-hmm. and I, knew, I knew I wasn't, I didn't have much depth on stage. I, there was things I just didn't, uh, I don't know. I know how to do this. I can't get that. Yeah. I mean, in the simple way, I know how to get people to laugh. Yeah. I don't know how to get them to cry or yeah. anything else on the spectrum there. So, but I, I could only, I went parts of two different years. So I actually got very little of the clowning training at Delarte. I got a lot of the Comedia Delarte training mm-hmm. twice, and I got almost none of the melodrama training, uh, which I wish I had. But it's just the way it worked out. I could only afford. I, I taught acrobatics and juggling. I was 19. I was the second youngest person there, and I taught acrobatics and juggling, and then I was a student. So I was the teacher for the first hour and a half every day, <laughs> and then I was the worst student for the rest of the day. That's great. No, it did not. That's going to be good for the morale for your, yeah. your your students who are in the later class with you. Like you get two teacher. pictures in the yearbook. <laughs> two pictures, yeah. One over here, and, uh, one over there, yeah. I was not a good student. I was actually never was a good student. And uh, I ran a school for 10 years, and I really helped not to be a good student. I, I, it wasn't my great students who I identified with. I identified with the ones I was like, oh, God, really? I said, I, I recognize that. And that was really helpful. Ah. Now, do you, like, so we're going into clowning here. Now, we, I'm curious, because, like, I do, we both do verbal comedy in our shows. Mm-hmm. And... So when you're right, like how much of clowning is writing it out or is it like you write the framework, you write the bare bones and then you go in, on stage and let the audience inform the rest? Or like, because I know you are a writer and I'm, I'm just curious, like what percentage do you think, you know, I, I would imagine some routines are more than others, but if you were teaching someone that, would you say, okay, write the sketch out first or write the bit out? What would, you, what would you say? How much of is writing as opposed to like improving? There's a lot in that. Let me, let me parse <laughs> out. But no, it's, I love it because you're asking a question that comes down to the fundamentals, the building blocks. Mm. And a lot of folks who teach clowning stay up in a kind of gaseous area of the, you, your deep soul. And, and, and that, there needs to be some of that more spiritual. And, but then the question is, what do I do tomorrow at 3 o'clock when I'm renting a rehearsal space? And that's what you're asking. Yeah. So when, when I teach clowning, when I've done clowning, there's not a lot of actual writing. And then by writing, I see you were moving your hand. As yeah, Because yeah, yeah. uh, the writing is usually in the bodies. Mm. So, for example, um, I had a teacher, Dominique Jando, who's uh, Parisian, who knows the canon of clown entrees, European clown entrees that came up started maybe a hundred years ago and, and were in their prime and are still, you can see them around today. So those are little playlets. And the way he was starting to teach them, he would, he would describe them. And then I asked, could, could you just act them out? So in a way, that's the writing. Uh, mm. But it's seeing him 
doing it. And the students, when he started acting out the students, and then he would, like, I would get up and play one of the roles. It's usually two or three people. And at first, I didn't get the form. It's not a form I grew up in. So he would also interrupt, say, not that. No, don't do this. And the students <laughs> love that. Like, telling the director he's wrong. Uh, oh. it, but it made, it also made it the next person came up. It made it okay. Okay, the director has, you know, gotten corrected 12 times. If you get directed 12 times, you're just doing fine. Yeah. You've but given yeah. them freedom to fail. Yeah. Exactly. And, and you need to. So, but the, so the process with those is... You, you alluded to it in that you, 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 okay, you got the form there and then you got to take the people and they're choosing the roles in there. And we would ex- have people experiment with the different roles. There's the, what they would call the white clown or the number one and then the august, the number two or the red, the different names. It's just a power dynamic to play with that's in, baked into the routine. And then if there's a third, it could be the ringmaster or a second august and, and you're playing with that. So first is just, who do you got? And let's choose roles and let's go through it. And if you can go through it as simply as possible, it really helps. If you start to put your ideas on top of it, just like in an acting role, uh, it, 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 you're going too soon. You mm. haven't felt the body of it. And Dominique would often say, no, just do the, the simple thing. Just do the next. He said, take everything in one, which is a translation of a French expression that doesn't quite work in English. But if you say something to me and I take it in one, I take it just literally what you said. Right. And there can be a lot of comedy in that literal. And it also keeps it simple. Once that gets going, then you can start to find where you're making the mistakes or where you're mm. finding a little bit of physical business. And you start to think about the physical routines you've learned. And some, a lot of them have physicality built into them. But you look at, oh, what's the costuming? And then my students, I would ask them to update it. So they do a so they do a modern version. For, for example, one of the one of the one of the simple entrees is someone comes in to plays a, an instrument, say an accordion, mm-hmm. and that's the number two. And the the number one comes in and goes, "You can't play that here." Oh, I I can't play this here. No, you can't play that here. Okay. And the number one exits, and the number two walks to the other side of the stage sets themselves up and plays. And they come, what? I told you you can't play it here. No, no. You said I can't play it yeah. there. No. Yeah. I'm playing it here. Right, you know yeah, this. Yeah. And then the, the blow-off is this wonderful thing where they put it in a garbage can and close the lid. And the, the, the number one leaves and the number two opens the lid and you hear the music coming ah. out. It's sort of this magical <laughs> ending, a very French ending. So I had two students who did, you can't smoke that here. Ah. And it was great, except... When we did our final performance of that, they were the first ones up, and everyone's <laughs> sitting, and they come in, and, the, and, and, and I remember Natalie's got her hair all up, and they, they got some smoke coming out of a hookah, and, 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 and I, I look at the door, and there's a little window in the door, and the French-American school, an elementary school, who used to sometimes come over, were a little late, but they were coming in, and I went running to the door, and I went through the door, and said, hi, kids. And I, for the whole times I said, bonjour, c'est vrai, did, 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 did whatever I could do to keep them, oh, now we can go in <laughs> for the next act. <laughs> it's but the I'm, bong version coming yeah, out. The, bong, yeah, the, the answer that, to the second part of yours is absolutely the audience then teaches mm. you. So I used to always say to my students in clowning, it'll take about 100 hours per minute of stage time. Hmm. Now, as variety performers, you go, yeah, that makes sense. You you, you, got to work. You get the ideas. That's easy. Then you have to work the routines and make sure you're you're nine out of ten times and all that stuff. And then you get in front of the audience. 
and they're starting to tell you yeah. what they care about, no matter what your ideas were. And, it's and now you're different. back, and oh my, I've got to learn a different technique because I was doing it facing stage right. I've got to learn that left-handed because that's where it works in the mm-hmm. all those yeah. stuff. You're both shaking your heads. You you know what I'm talking <laughs> about. At the beginning of every year, my students would go, <laughs> "Yeah, right, <laughs> <laughs> I got this." And then by the end, they were often saying. Jeff, I don't know if 100's enough because I, I got to keep, and I got hurt while I was doing that, so I had to adjust. And that's, that's when you get to, that's in my mind, if you're making the adjustments by what the audience tells you, so you're making the adjustments over the long term in terms of the, the whole thing, you're making the adjustments night to night, like day to day. This audience is this way, and I'm adjusting. Again, you know that because you're, you're variety performers. And, and then you're making the adjustment over time as your skills either grow or diminish mm-hmm. or you get injured. All those things, the constant adjusting. Yeah. Now, did you envision your life as a clown? I mean, what was the, what, when you were 19 years old, what's the, what was the end goal? Because we know you, like, you were a juggler, you did yeah. acrobatics, you had a show. And then what was that moment where you were like, you know what? This is this is the path I want to go. You know, I don't think I've actually had a moment like that. I've never been good at this is the path. Mm. Uh, and you know, early on, I see people who were clear on that. Uh, Bill Irwin, absolutely clear. And, and I, I, there was just not the way I worked. So mm. I never had a moment where I said, "Ooh, I'm I'm going to be a clown." Honestly. I did have moments where I said, ooh, I won't be a clown. And then that was when I was a juggler, and that was cool, and clowning just didn't seem to have the cachet. But again, I, we had Bill Irwin, and yeah. uh, so I would watch him, and I'd watch him teach, and go, that's cool. No, that's, that's, even, that's cooler than juggling. I mean, that's cool. Yeah. But I didn't. Uh, I did some circus clowning through the back door, got hired as a juggler, who also could be a ringmaster clown. Mm. And then at the San Mateo County Fair, which is where you just were working, uh, I got hired because a good friend of mine, Mark Sackett, was working with the J.P. Booker Early American Circus. And I was working with a community show called Everybody's Family Circus, which is where I really learned to perform. Mm -hmm. And it was also where I learned to teach because we did a lot of teaching. And some of the folks who were in that are still my best friends in the world. But I was a little more ambitious than the show was. Ah. Right? The, the yeah. show, I was ambitious to get. So Mark got this guy, J.P. Booker, to hire me as the clown. And Mark was the wire walker uh, musician, the, kind of the elegant. He was the elegant one. And we were good friends. And, and that's when I started to have to get serious about clowning. I, started, I didn't know anything about circus clowning. So here I am in a circus, and I don't know really jack about circus climbing yeah and people called me on that mm-hmm. uh the parley bear who's a pretty famous ringmaster was hired to be the ringmaster and he did not like me for good uh. reason well for good reason i mean i got my laughs and stuff but i didn't know the history mm. i didn't know i'm pretending in this profession and so that was okay so gotta, hang, hang on learn. so there's circus what types of clowning are there so there's circus clowning so that would be that would be in a circus uh, uh, what we would now call a traditional circus so it was act to act Mm-hmm. Uh, with the ringmaster, uh, we had uh, it was a wonderful tiger act. We had a seal act, uh, a Roosevelt trapeze act, a flying trapeze act, uh, and and you know in between there was clowning, and yeah. the clowning was done in the old style, which is 
you start your routine, and it's to cover tearing down the lion cage, yeah. tiger cage. We didn't have lions, tiger cage. So I know approximately what it, how long it is, and that's about approximately how long I'm doing. I'm doing the routine where I balance a sledgehammer on my, my chin over here, and they cheer, and I go over to the other side. I get them to cheer. I make a little competition between the two. And if they get it torn down early, the ringmaster blows the whistle, you're done. Mm-hmm. You don't get to your blow-off. Ah. You pull that, and you run off. If there's a problem, like one time one of the roadies left the, a pin out of the tiger cage, and the tiger didn't get out. It's not a good moment. And so you've done your, your, your beats there. You're, you're ready for the blow-off, which is to go to the third section mm-hmm. and do it with them. And you got no whistle, you keep going. Ah. Yeah. So that's, you know, you are the transition. Yeah. And, yeah. and everything is about keep it short, keep it short. Partly, actually, a couple of clowns, kind of rough and tumble guys, came on the, came on the lot and convinced Parley that they would take one of my slots to show them. And they were doing the washerwoman act, which I don't know if you know, but it's like mm. this, the most sexist act you could. So I knew my mom wasn't traveling to San Mateo, but I still, <laughs> no way I was doing the washerwoman act. That would and, definitely make it in the feminist magazine. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been, yeah. So he it would have gotten you on the cover of the feminist <laughs> magazine. <laughs> they didn't have pictures. She would have drawn it. She would have a picture. Uh, but so they were on, and Parley was always about time. You don't go over time with Parley. And, uh, and so they went on, and it was a, I knew the slot. It was a four-minute slot max. And uh, they went on, and they were terrible. <laughs> and in about four minutes, they're just getting started. And it, it, oh, it, it, no. went, it, went, it went 11 and a half minutes. I remember this. And I couldn't resist. I was, a, you know, I, I don't know. I was 19, 18, something. So I go up to Parley at the end and said, uh, should, I, should I take that slot? For the afternoon, I mean, I think they got some laughs. I mean, they got they had a lot. They had enough time to get quite a few. I said, Fuck you, <laughs> get ready. <laughs> and they were off the line. They did you a solid. <laughs> that is so, amazing. In terms of clowning, so the, okay, so where does circus clowning compare to to rodeo clowning? Okay, oh, rodeo, oh, clowning is, oh, rodeo, but rodeo clowning is a different story. I've never done it. Okay, uh, I've seen it. Uh, and it's actually changing now because rodeo clowns are now calling themselves bullfighters, and it's a slightly different thing. Uh, but the old style, I mean, that is scary stuff. You know, a bicycle with 11 people, none of them are trying to kill me. <laughs> it's uh, so. Well, may, may, maybe the one guy over there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe the guy shouting at you, making you do 10 times. <laughs> that's right. He is trying to kill me. But that's in rehearsal. In the show, hopefully. Uh, that's, so rodeo clowning grew up totally separately, and w- some of the gags that rodeo clowns used to do look a bit like clown entrees. Uh, so there, and but there's really specifics about the costuming, very different costuming, really different makeup. Uh, there's a microphone, so there's a whole pattern that's grown up around rodeo clowning. I l- and and then their barrel, which is like they jump in for safety, and the mm-hmm. bull is not so crazy. I, I met a rodeo clown, a guy named uh, Festus Alcock, and he said, <laughs> Festus is really my name. <laughs> I put together that last name. And I said, yeah. So he, and he was this great guy, and he was telling me about it, and, and it's impressive. And then we were, we were talking about our, our, our you know, battle wounds from acrobatics and stuff, and Festus is, and he finally goes, well, and he lifts up his shirt, and he's got a big round scar right here. And then he turns around and he has a smaller brown oh! scar on the back where the horn came out. Oh, jeez. And the rest of us said, mm, okay. You win. 
You're like, I would love for him to like raise up his shirt and, and everyone's like, oh my God. He's like, oh, that's his appendix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a big appendix. And, 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 and a terrible they pulled surgeon. it out the back? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we didn't know, man. We just we pull it out wherever we can get a hole. Yeah. So, rodeo, so I know the question you're getting to, and I'm avoiding it, but there's, uh, yes, so there, there is a, a vocabulary around uh, traditional circus clowning out of, uh, out of Europe mm-hmm. that is really gone through the South America and, and North America as well. There is a whole clowning vocabulary in Chinese acrobatics, and Chinese acrobatics is Chinese circus, and it includes magic, by the way. Magic mm-hmm. is a part of that form. And there's uh, the happy chef is a wonderful part of that tradition. Now, there's also, you have uh, stage clowning. Of course, you always have when you look at uh, Shakespeare, uh, Goldoni, there's stage clowning. Mm-hmm. And when I was coming up, very separate, if you, I had two resumes. And my resume is an actor and my resume is a circus performer. And never the twain shall meet. Now, my students would put Clown Conservatory on their acting resume because it helped. Ah, so it, it blessedly and a lot of us in here in San Francisco made help make that. Cross. Yeah, but now there's medical clowning, uh, healthcare clowning. There's mm-hmm. uh, clowns without borders, so your social service. Yeah. So there's a lot of places where clowning has come in, and if you look traditionally around the world, there are lots and lots of clowning traditions in in most cultures. Some of them are performative. Uh, excuse me. So some of them are performative. Mostly that'll be in a situation where there's a story being told, perhaps it's an, an epic story, an ancient story, perhaps even in a language that people aren't speaking anymore, in an ancient language, uh, like it would be in Latin here. And then the clown will come in speaking local dialect and, mm. and to, to give a break yeah. in it and, and being really bawdy or, or in the face. And there's sacred clowning, which almost by definition we don't know that much about, but certainly... People who have lived here, Ohlone people who have lived right here, and uh, uh, other folks who are indigenous to, to North America have had really interesting cultures of clowning, uh, Hopi clowning in particular. And it's sacred, so it's like you're not exactly welcomed in. Ah. Uh, but so there's lots of different kinds. Different of- styles. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that like Chinese clowning is different from American clowning, which is different from European clowning. Yeah. And that why do you think... Clowning in the United States, the average person doesn't hold it in the same regard as like a European clown. Because you're wrong. <laughs> you're messed up, man. Uh, that is true. Your your premise is absolutely true. Uh, in you, well, in broad stereotypes. No, but it's really true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's first of all in in, in France there is a uh, a secretary of culture. You know, we don't have a secretary yeah. of culture here. <laughs> and under the secretary of culture, there is a department of circus. Ah. We don't have that here either. So there's a, it, it's considered a part of the tradition. In China, acrobatics was one of the art forms that they used when they were, when they were still pretty closed off from the rest of the world. Lu Yi, my trainer, has toured the world when he was young because... Acrobatics was their diplomacy. They would send acrobats. Yeah. So here, circus grew up, came out of Astley's in, in, in England, and then, and then this guy named Ricketts over here, and it grew up to be a, a, a touring show, which is not always, in, in Europe, it's not always a touring show, hasn't traditionally been. In, in, in Russia, where circus is huge and very well respected, 
they have permanent circus buildings. So the people tour, but the building's already there when you get there. So here it became... Wait, wait, wait. So the... the the building's always there, and the, the the performers go to different right. But the not as a troupe, they'll they'll get hired in. Like they'll put it, it's more like actually regional theater here, ah. where they bring in the actors mm-hmm. from here and there. Uh, and that that system got got pretty pretty destroyed. I don't know to what extent, but uh, after the Soviet Union broke up, that that system broke a lot, and you'll find a lot of form people from the former. Soviet Union working in Cirque du Soleil, for example. Okay. A lot of my colleagues from Cirque du Soleil. Now, <clears throat> since you've performed all over the place and you've talked about like all the clowning from different cultures, are there like clown routines that you've done in other countries that d- just do not work? <laughs> uh, I'm sure I have, but I've forgotten. <laughs> but the, your, 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 your question is very, very good. Because, you know, we were, yeah. we were verbal artists, and so... Yeah. I I I wish I had the ability to be in other countries yeah. to do you know to travel more and do more international stuff. So I envy people that can make an audience laugh without words. And so I'm I'm curious. I want to hear the bombing parts <laughs> just to kind of make me feel better. I think. <laughs> I I've almost always used some words, and sometimes mm. would will do some of them in the other language or like I. I did the whole show in Japanese yeah. in, in, with Corteo. Uh, but sometimes just uh, learned a few words. So I, uh, I, I, I haven't really had the big bombs, but that's because being really careful and really mm-hmm. listening carefully to the audience and, and adjusting as quickly as possible. Uh, I, I, I'll tell you what. So with this group Vaudeville Nouveau, it was a trio and did a lot of juggling comedy and uh, some some acrobatics and, and music. And we were in Italy, and one of my partners had more language than the other two, and his wife is uh, Italian. And so we're in his mother's, near his mother's home. Mm-hmm. And we're in this piazza, and, and it's packed. It was packed an hour before the show, and Italian nice. audiences are great. and. There's a part where, in English, she says, do you want to see more of the big guy? Me. Mm-hmm. And the audience says, yes! And he pulls down my pants. I got funny underwear, and they pass around me, and we do this whole routine of my getting my pants up while they're passing around me, and I come out, and it turns into this whole juggling act. So he de- he'd learned it in Italian. He practiced it a lot. And he says it, and this whole piazza gets silent. <laughs> So, as any good variety performer, he says it louder. <laughs> he doubled down. <laughs> I look down in the front row, because I'm standing there in the center of the stage with my pants up, knowing that where we're going. And I look at his wife is just cracking up. There's tears pouring down her face. And the cousins, her cousins, are staring at the stage. Apparently, he said, would you like to see the big guy's vegetable? <laughs> would you like to see the big guy's vegetable? <laughs> Well, nobody said anything, so that's got to hurt you. <laughs> no one does. Uh, no, one no, actually, yes. on second thought, we don't think we would like that. <laughs> and can I get a refund? Yes. Yeah, we finished the act and got out of there. No, we, they, they, they liked it. They were, very, they were just like, it was, it was a sweet thing. The audience was like, you do this for a while, we'll wait. And we're back with you. We'll wait for you to figure this out. In that same moment, though, we were in Germany, in Frankfurt, and, and we were performing at um, Slagfeer. 
That's what it's like. Doesn't that sound good? It's like, and we get there, and they go, oh, yeah, let me just show you the theater. It's this huge, gorgeous theater in a fabric, in a factory. He says, but this is not where you're performing. It's, oh, he shows us five theaters, each getting smaller, but each <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> None of them. He said, but you're, you're Schlagfeer. He said, yes. Ah, yeah, good, good, good. Let's go in the car. And we drive to the square, the Rathaus Square, Schlagfeer, four o'clock in the afternoon. So you're on four o'clock on that little float in the river <laughs> and they had built this little thing to our stage dimensions but there's water all around yeah and we said we're juggling goes yeah well we're, if, if we drop it goes in the water goes, yeah you don't drop don't. <laughs> who drops we've never had anybody ever drop <laughs> so the only thing we got was he playing in the middle of the square yeah. instead of on the pontoon thing <laughs> and in the middle there's a guy who's translating his heckling from English <laughs> to German. <laughs> so he'll, hey, you guys, is this? and then he turned, I can invite them. To you know, so to make sure everyone's <laughs> understanding it. And when my pants get pulled down, he pulls his down. Wow. But he forgot the funny underwear. Uh, he forgot any underwear. Oh, wow. <laughs> so now no one's looking at me. And my girlfriend, who was our stage manager, is in the front row <laughs> laughing the way, you know. And my partner, Mark Sackett, took the guy and bounced him. Like, because his pants were around his knee, <laughs> bounced him to the middle, turned him around, pulled the pants up, and pushed him to go. But, you know, then the next rest of the act is Wait, not What do you do? What no, do you, you do finish the that? act yeah, and get the hey, hell out of it. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so. I wait. know those didn't answer your question, but they were funny stories. No, no. no variety <laughs> performers. Well, you get a question, you think of the good funny story, and you insert. <laughs> in, in these clown entrees in Europe, there's this style of an echoing. So uh, if I'm the one and you're the two, I would say, you can't play that here. And the two would go, I can't play that here? You can't play that here. That's a lovely echo, and it's partly because we're in a three-quarter round without mics back mm -hmm. in the day. So the people I'm facing are hearing mine, and so they get the beat. Mm. Also, in if we're in a number of languages, I'll say it in one language. You'll respond in a different language, uh, and I'll respond. Oh, so we get the languages. But it's always little short, yeah. and it's... You're trying really hard not to be a reference, even though it's really hard to know the metaphors and the references yeah. when, in your own language. Yeah. But you find out quick yeah. when, when they come over and I say... I guess that, that would be the question I, I guess I was trying to ask, which was like, have you ran into anything that was like culturally just a taboo in that culture that you're like, wow, I, I wish I would have known that? Or, like, or when you go to a country, do you have to do those research? Oh, do they have... Are yeah, diapers a thing. You here. should. Yeah. Have I always? No. Uh, so I was in Japan. A student of mine has lived in Japan for many years. He's American. Lived in Japan for many years, and he, he runs a, a, a theater company. Does musicals, and he wrote me into a musical and invited me over, and it was just lovely. So I'm performing in this musical, and I did everything wrong backstage. Could could you? Just, <laughs> you, you look at me and you say. Does he fit in a Japanese culture? A, a big <laughs> Jewish guy who moves a lot and tends to, yeah, not good. Uh, but, uh, you know, okay. But they were very patient with me. On stage, I had a bit where I was counting. And the counting was, uh, I was counting in Japanese. And I was, so, each knee, shan, I, I don't even remember, but I was counting. But I was counting wrong. I was doing this. And you count differently mm. in Japanese. And I don't even remember. You may know better than I do. Yeah, because I know like in, in Germany, they one is your thumb, not your pointer finger. Yeah. So it's little things like that. Exactly. Well, so there was, but let me tell you, there was yeah. two mistakes. One, I was counting wrong, but also the gag was 
that I, I thought the gag was. I'll do it in English. One, two, three, seven, nine, six, three, four, I rock. <laughs> well, a Japanese audience just goes silent because you've just embarrassed yourself and they don't want to shame you. Oh. It's not at all funny that you mess up and think you're great. So what oh, I did was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Dojane, I'm great. Now we can get it. I see. He got it right, and he's an American, overly proud of something okay, so yeah, simple. Yeah. Ah, yeah. But it took me messing it up, the audience telling me, me going back to my American friend who lives in Japan and saying, "What am I doing?" Him showing me the fingers, me practicing it with the song, still getting it wrong. Going back, him asking the Japanese actors, them, and for this is for one bit, but you know, yeah, you yeah. worked that hard for one yeah. bit, right? That's part of your 100 You, you hours. had it by the last night. <laughs> <laughs> I had it by the night after the last night. I rocked it at the party after the last night. You were like, yes. <laughs> but you know, you know that's true, right? <laughs> it's, it's we... So how did you end up at the Moisture Festival? Let's bring it back to the United Ooh. States. That was good. Ooh, uh, that was good. Nice I just crowbarred that, that bad boy. So, <laughs> um, in in the eighties, I ran a festival called the San Francisco New Vaudeville Festival. So, it, it, in some ways, that was what the moisture. You know, we, and yeah, and we did it at San Francisco State. In and we had five theaters and an outdoor venue, and ten days. We had three hundred. We had a hundred. And 18 artists, we had 36 events, including classes and shows. So you recognize this, right? Yep. This, uh, uh, so I did that. Uh, I, I produced it and was artistic director, co-produced it and artistic director the first year and then helped with it the next two years. It went for four years. So I love those things. I love those. Uh, I know Tim first because I've worked with Tim in, uh, in Comedy of Errors mm -hmm. in, in the Three Moscow Tears with, uh, with the Karamazovs and my group, Vaudre Nouveau, was in those too. And I liked him and he called me and said, do you want to do it? And my first juggling partner, Billy Kessler, who's an amazing juggler and acrobat, uh, volunteers at, at, at the festival. So I, I said, I, I might be coming up. And he goes, oh, you got to come. It's great. It's great. It's great. So, and then I talked to a few other people. Is it fun? Yes, yes. And I trust him. And uh, so, and I, and I, and, and a bunch of people I like were doing the week that I was there, which that helps. <laughs> and my niece was in, was in, uh, was in med school mm -hmm. in Seattle during, yeah, you know, it, 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 it fit together. Nice. And there were a bunch of people I had never seen. Like I'd never seen Kate Great. Ah. And I got to see her and meet her. And, and those are the moments where you go, God. I've, I'm out of touch here. This is great. <laughs> and also, I, I was flogging my first book, ah. Secret Life of Clowns. And so I did a, a, a workshop based off of that and did a reading. So Oh, nice. Was, yeah. So it, it worked out great. Yeah. It's really lovely. Well, we are, we're spoiled just by being in the living in Seattle and then having all this great talent yeah. there once a year. Yeah. For, it's, it's fantastic. I, I almost like take it for granted yeah. like that it's three weeks long. It's like, I don't even go and I should be at every single show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. And you used to have bumper shooter. Maybe you still, have it still shooter. exists. It's, yeah, we played bumper shooter yeah. in the eighties. Yeah. And that, that was another big one that, that drew a lot of people. Yeah. It's sort of shifted to more like large, you know, stadium acts. Oh yeah. I went like, to say, cause they would always, they always did bring some big acts. Like yeah. I remember we played a, a pretty big theater the uh, venues were always big, but now it's, it's, I mean, when I was a kid, it was $3 or $8. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
And he shifted more towards like stand up or is now taking that variety okay, you know, it, section. Okay. Yeah. Now, like having a teacher like Bill Irwin to sort of be, to be able to sit in on a class or have him teach you or watch him work. I mean, I, that had to be paramount to have one of the best ever be yeah. your teacher. I mean, yeah. how lucky is that? I, I've been very lucky with teachers. Yeah. I, I mean, having him around, having Jeff Hoyle here, who's not my teacher, but Jeff and I were in Larry Pizzoni's class. So mm. that's Jeff, Larry, and Bill, yeah. the trio from the, the famous trio from the Pickle Family Circus. Uh, so Jeff learned to stand on my shoulders when I learned to stand underneath. On his. Yeah, yeah, you got what I said. So watching them work and watching them grow and watching them be great, but sometimes even better, watching them not be great. Uh, I used to, the Pickle Family Circus had a place up on Potrero Hill, and I'm pointing in the wrong direction. No one saw that. I'm pointing now in the right direction. Like, like we either of us would know. Oh, good. It's there. culturally insensitive. You use the wrong finger. It's this, it's this way. It's over there. Uh, so they had this. They had an old church, and and they let me practice trampoline in their church. And I would just have to be over there when Bill was rehearsing. Yeah, and, uh, he would be working in front of a mirror, and he's working because he was a dancer first. So he's working a you know, a dance routine or something and a little hat and I bounce and bounce and just watch. And then you go, Jeff, uh, how's, how's this look? Great, Bill. <laughs> no, no. It isn't. Uh, and I go, wow, what is, okay, that looks so good to me, but it's not okay for him. Yeah. What does that tell me about the process? It takes years to integrate yeah. that. But I had lots, uh, uh, lots of good, good people here. Jail Wiseman, uh, Joan Shirley, Joan Mankin, uh, Tandy Beale, just really great people from dance, from circus, from theater, who were, you know, my colleagues. Yeah. But I, I, was, I was the kid of that generation, which was really helpful. You started the Clowns Conservatory in 2000. Yeah. And how many of those kids are saying that about you now? <laughs> you like just how can't... lucky am I to have Jeff Raz be my teacher? They say that to me. I don't know if they're believing it, but they, <laughs> it's, it's one of the things I didn't know. I started the Clown Conservatory because it was a kind of a fluke. They, the, the head of Circus Center had written a grant to the National Endowment for the Arts for a clown school. And then he said, uh, you want to you wanna, like, sign on to this thing? And they said, it'll never happen, but sure, I'll write the artistic statement. And then it happened. And, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and, but I had, my first son had, was, was little, and, and I, I needed to not be on the road. So, yeah. yeah, okay, this is good. This is good to do. And I loved doing it. I really loved it. The commitment to students. I didn't realize I taught a lot of workshops. But, you know, you come to the workshop, dun, 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 we do it. You leave, you're happy. Uh, but your career is your career. Yeah. My students, it's two years or a year plus, and I would say at the beginning, I want you to each have a 50-year career. Ha, ha, ha. And then I'd mention that one of their teachers already had a 40-year career, and she can do a handstand longer than any of you. Mm -hmm. And then they go, okay. And I said, I want tickets. I want comps. In the last 10 years, they need to be wheelchair accessible. And, <laughs> and I, want, I want you to be better than me for most of those 50 years. And I realized I had to believe that, which I'd never believed in workshops. Uh, I'll teach you some of my stuff. <laughs> I'll give you. Let's sprinkle in some yeah. tricks. No, I did. I did really. You know, I wanted to teach you everything, but I knew in a week. Yeah. You know, if you and I are in an audition, sorry, <laughs> you know, it can go that way. Uh, but I'm. I seriously had to say, I want to be with them for their career, and I want to be proud of that, and I want to watch them, 
and I want them to be better than me. And a lot of them are better than I've ever been. I feel and like I'd be a lot. Pre- like I yeah. would feel pressure to like make sure that they, you know, succeeded in their yeah. goals. You, you have to be bit careful of that because it's when I started to feel that pressure. It's I want you to succeed in my goals. Mm. Ah. It's, it's not like parenting in that way. You're stage yeah. mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It can't do that. <laughs> the beauty was that I had we we did. We being Peggy Ford and, and I, my, my partner at the Clown Conservatory, we auditioned and we did not say we're only going to take people we think can be excellent clowns. We said we want to be with people who have the possibility to, who have open hearts, and who we want to spend two years with. So we took people who had a huge range. So they've, I mean, one of them was a, a psychic and a massage therapist. She's still a psychic and a massage therapist. She became a great clown. She offers special clown massages. <laughs> she has she has a, a electronic whoopee cushion under the table. Oh, that's hilarious! I mean, it's, uh, yeah. She's got the, the squeaker. Yes, <laughs> you go in and she knows exactly where you want she wants you to where, where you want her to work. <laughs> I sense you need your back. Yes, <laughs> you're joking, but this is really what she, and she's brilliant at it. So that's a little different than Joel Baker, who's uh, like the hottest clown in 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 Europe and the U.S. or uh, or people who've been you know brilliant musician musical clowns. There's lots of different stuff. Stuff that I would never think of. Yeah. Um, so we'll get, so going from clowning to what you're doing today, mm-hmm. like you're doing, you do workshops for corporations, which I think you, you teach CEOs like how to do pratfalls or something. Or <laughs> like, are you? I like, haven't gotten is? to do the pratfalls. No, so uh, when I left the Clown Conservatory, I started working with a group called Stand and Deliver, which is a communications consulting company. Almost everybody, is comes from performance, and it it was it was a thing where I got it's sort of an easy transition because I had done Midsummer Night's Dream with the guy who runs it a number of years before, and uh, some of my faculty were in we were in it, and it took a while to get this adjustment to get used to it. At some point, I realized I'm using almost everything I was teaching at the Clown Conservatory in this setting. I'm adjusting it, adjusting for them. And there was a curriculum that, that I've learned, and I've been doing that 11 years. Uh, it, it has gotten my kids through school. That's awesome. It yeah. has gotten me through school. I, I've really learned That's amazing. volumes uh, from doing that. It, at one point, it felt like this totally separate thing. I left it out here in, in, in orbit. Uh, I really needed to bring it in and say, oh, this is all part of the whole thing I've been doing for my whole career. It's just... Uh, I have a different costume on. Yeah, absolutely. And we're in different settings, and I have to frame it differently. Mm-hmm. But geez, if I'm teaching dancers, I got to frame it differently than totally. if I'm teaching actors. Yeah, around. yeah. And that's do you, does your books play into those seminars? Like you say, chapter yeah. three. Yes. <laughs> in, in my book, which yeah. is for sale in the back. <laughs> Thank you. At the gift shop. See, I love you guys. This don't cut this part out, no matter what you do. So my first book, I, I'll go into the book. The first book, absolutely. Mm. The first book started as. My, it was a memoir of my tour with Cirque du Soleil. So when, I'm, when I went on tour, I said, uh, it, uh, I started in, in 2006, and this is going to be interesting, so keep a journal. So I kept a journal, da-da-da-da-da. And, and, and then when I got home, uh, finished at the end of the first year and a half, I'm, I said, okay, let's write this up. And I wrote a draft, and it was so boring, I couldn't rewrite. You need, have to read it to mm, rewrite it. Yeah. 
And if you write it terribly, 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 <laughs> yeah, you don't want to. So I said, okay, put that away. <laughs> and then a, f- a year later, or so I said, I really want to capture what we did at the Clown Conservatory because no one else is quite teaching that way. The Clown Conservatory is still going, but in a different way. So I started, and I got so bored, I couldn't even write it because I was so bored. Like, oh my God. <laughs> and a boring book on clowning. Mm-hmm. So at some point, I got the idea to put these two together as a twin narrative and have the teacher and the student the teacher's narrative and the, and the teacher's trying to do what he's teaching on stage in front of thousands of people and the student's trying to learn. And so I got a fictional narrative and that allowed me to write it and very much embedded the curriculum in there. My idea was if someone wants to read it, they know nothing about it. A lot of my corporate clients have read it and they go, oh, it's about learning and development. Oh, that's cool. I said, great. That's great. It's about learning and development. Uh, other people read it and they say, oh, it's fun. I didn't know about any of that. But I want someone who's running a circus school. There are 300 circus schools in the country who doesn't have a clown program but wants to teach them, they can actually get the curriculum if they just look through it. It's, That's it's awesome. embedded oh. in it. My second book, The Snow Clown, was more about a, when I, two adventures. I used to work in Alaska, uh, did a circus program in Yupik villages in the middle of winter. Wow. And I always knew that would make an interesting story. And yeah. I did mm-hmm. it 10 different times over years. And I used to work in Nebraska, which is weirder than Alaska. <laughs> I've for, been to Nebraska. Uh, uh, okay, for a I've Jewish guy from, from, uh, from Berkeley, it's weird. And I was in a, an artist diversity residency program uh, as the Jewish guy. And I worked with a Mohawk poet and a Tainu trumpet player. It was fascinating. Wow. Uh, but we worked, yeah, anyway. So I, the book's about those Oh, that's experiences. great. So that's a little more, the question is, how does an artist show up in a community in a different way than just touring through it. But if you're in the community yeah. and your your mandate is to be part of that community, all the mistakes you make in, in the in the in the cultural connections or not. And and that's where the answer to your question of making those cultural mistakes are probably live a lot more in uh, Snow Clown. Mm. Uh, and then my third book, Love Death Circus, is about a period of time, it's a fictional version of a period of time in the San Francisco Bay Area circus community where we lost a lot, we lost three of our major people mm. in uh, in a year and a half, two years, and my mom died in there too. So it's oh. about how this community celebrated the people and, and took care of people, everything from you know, being there to change bedpans yeah. to doing the performances that raised the money, and, and it, it's about that. And you can get all of those on your site, jeffraz.com. Absolutely. Uh, Amazon, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. You, well, you can get two of them from Amazon. The last one I didn't, I published as a serial. I released a chapter a week all through the oh, pandemic. Oh, that's cool. Ah. Which, which was a lovely thing. It worked really well. So it's on my site. The whole book, you can just read okay. it for free on my site. Love Death Circus. You just go on to my site, jeffraz.com, and you just get chapter one and go to chapter two, and you just can read yeah. it. Yeah, it's R-A-Z with one Z. One Z. So we made a mistake. He was uh, searching you with two Zs. And uh-huh. He's like, why are all these Bob Marley pictures <laughs> coming There's a bunch of Bob Marley pictures that came up. Which like, actually <laughs> is me. <laughs> oh, it is. I'm reincarnated. Bob, <laughs> okay. Bob, Bob is my, yeah, yeah. It is one Z, but I, when I was working with Diane in the, Diane Pino, uh, Wozniak, in the Pickle Family Circus, our duet show was Pino and Raz with two Zs, ah. just to mess you up. <laughs> Sorry about that. I hope you do have a bumper sticker that says, my kid is a better clown than your kid. 
that you have because you have two kids, right? I have two kids. Okay. And are they do they follow in your footsteps not or the are they like all right, we're going to we're going to a chance. <laughs> one's an accountant. The other one's following <laughs> uncle. Well, my my oldest son just graduated from college with a degree in communications okay. and a corporate entrepreneurship. Okay. That fits. Uh, yeah. And he's uh, go- he's now going into EMT training in a week ah. or two, which uh, has nothing to uh, it's, Scared me and every <laughs> bit of it. Um, and, and my younger son is he's just out of high school, and he's uh, fabulous at many things, sports being one of them. He's a much better athlete. So if he'd gone into acrobatics, he would already be better than I ever yeah. was. Uh, he does other things. He's a tennis player and a lot of other things. Uh, but he, over the pandemic, became a great barber. He cut my hair, kept me... Kept me in business because nice. he kept my hair, and uh, he's a, become a fabulous cook. So among wow. the skills, yeah, uh, he can juggle. He shows me every so often. Just yeah, so you know, just Dad, I learned this Look from how you. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> but no, they neither of them ever said I love this. My younger son hated theaters. Mm. Uh, my older son, I'm sorry. Uh, they loved hanging out backstage at Cirque du Soleil. They loved bouncing on the trampoline. They loved having all these. Tattooed, bored people who wanted to play with them. That yeah. was cool, but uh, in terms of going into it, nah. Well, good for them. Yeah, it, I mean, you like essentially like you came from an educated family and decided I'm going to go to the circuit, and they're doing the opposite, it just so. swinging back. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the yep. Pendulum, yep. Comes. Right. pendulum swings. Well, we want to thank you so much for uh, meeting us, man. We That's really great. appreciate yeah. it. Jeffraz.com. Any other plugs that we might be missing? No, that's a good plug right okay. there. That's, that's yeah, and, and it has a ton of information on you, your shows, your workshops, uh, your writings. It's no. tons of videos. It's pretty awesome. Thanks so much. We really appreciate you My coming pleasure. out. Yeah. My pleasure. It's great talking to you both. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, that's it for today. Just a quick few plugs. Of course, go to moisturefestival.org for all things Moisture Festival. You, they also have a Facebook page, an Instagram, and a YouTube that you can sign up for. And you can get all the information if you want to volunteer, if you want to donate, or if you want to fill out the questionnaire to be considered as a performer as well. You can do that all on their site. If you want to find out more information about Louie and I, you can find Louie at louiefox.com. That's with two X's. Yes, and you can find Matt at comedy stuntshow.com you can also check out the podcast that matt and i do called the odd and offbeat podcast at odd and or on itunes stitcher pocket cast all that jazz if you like weird and unusual news stories that's where you need to go because the odd and offbeat podcast is all things weird yes so check that out if you like this podcast you will love our podcast so be sure to check that out so we want to thank our guests for today. That was a lot of fun. And and we want to thank all the donors and volunteers and performers that make the Moisture Fest happen as well. Without yeah. them, we wouldn't be here talking to them. Absolutely. So get your little slice of Moisture Festival at moisturefestival.org. And thanks so much for listening, folks. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. And stay moist.